And so I remember sitting in class and I remember working my way through this being like, I'm flying through this. Maybe, I don't know if Courtney actually did it right or maybe you just were going through it quickly, quite quickly. <laughs> but I remember going through it really quick being like, I am acing this, like I am sorted. And, and then I sort of got to halfway through sort of doing it and everyone else was just sitting there with their arms folded. And I was like, hmm, they were quicker or else they've done it wrong. And then at the end, obviously we realized, oh, I have done this wrong the whole time. I missed uh, the, the first thing that it said. And it was that comprehension. It was just teaching us to read the instructions carefully, making sure that you read everything first. And so I had read the instructions wrong. I had missed the whole point of what was happening and what was being said. And Paul's writing this letter to this church, and he is, these, this church is doing the right thing. They're impacting their community. Paul is encouraging them. Yes, he goes on with his letter and, and challenges them with some stuff, but he is encouraged and say, listen, you have done the right thing. You are doing good in what you are doing to impact your community, to, to advance the kingdom of God. But he makes, in this first six verses, he highlights two key instructions that I want to look at for the next 20 minutes. Two key instructions that they did really well. And the two things that I've given them alliteration, obviously, because that's how I work, is reap and replicate. Reap and replicate. So the first one we'll look at is reap. And verse 3, Paul says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Work. It was their work that they saw make a difference in their area. It was their work. And so I want to make a point, obviously, that work and deeds don't save you. Work and deeds don't save you. Only grace saves you. Work and deeds don't save you. Work and deeds don't keep you. It's like what Pip shared on Sunday, that we don't, we're sometimes climbing the wrong ladder. It's not work and deeds that save you or keep you, but... Work does lead people to Jesus, and Jesus saves people. And so doing deeds and doing work does matter. On Sunday, I, I, I titled it, Make Love Your Goal. That was my, my big message, to make love your goal. And the thing is, if we love people, if we love this generation, if we love these people, then we want to see the best for them. We want them to know Jesus. And in Romans 10, 13 to 15, Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so work has value. Reaping has some value. But as I said, the, the, there is a harvest out there, guys. There is a harvest. And you, many of you know several, several, several people who don't know Jesus. And you realize that the, the harvest is plentiful. That there is a lot of people out there that we can reach. But we need more laborers. We need more workers. And Jesus says this in John 4, 35. He's just met the woman at the well. His disciples come back to bring him food. And then he starts to talk about, he says, don't, don't you have a saying that it's still four months until the harvest? And Jesus says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ripe unto harvest. Jesus also says in Matthew 9, 37, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And I want to challenge you 
tonight with this. Maybe we are the workers and the laborers that the past generations have prayed for. Maybe it's us. Maybe we, we get so caught up in this, because I know what I do. I get so caught up in this, this almost excuse that Jesus makes. He almost sets it up for an excuse for us to take away. Do you know what? The, heart, the, the workers are few. So do you know what? We'll all just gather around and we'll pray for more workers. And it all, almost takes the burden off us to think, great, do you know what? I don't mind sitting and praying for stuff. And so I don't mind sitting and praying for more workers because it means that I don't have to do the work. But then I felt, felt like God challenged me with this. But maybe you are the workers that past generations have been praying for. Maybe you are the laborers, the people that are our dads or our, our granddads or great-granddads or great-great-great-great-great-granddads prayed and prayed and prayed. God said more workers, send more workers. And here we are. Here are the workers here are the laborers to go into the fields to, to, to reap the harvest. But what we don't know is we don't even realize that we are the workers. I wonder how many generations church have been in the past have said this prayer. I said, said there. I have spent far too much time with Pip. Said, said. <laughs> how many have prayed that prayer and missed it? They've been praying, God send more workers. And God's like, you are the workers. You are the workers. And we know that God's will is sovereign, don't we? We know that God's will is sovereign and it will happen. But the thing that terrifies me, church, is what if we miss it? What if God wanted you to go and reap the harvest? What if, what if someone planted the seed? Paul says that, that I planted the seed and Apollo watered it. What if someone planted the seed years ago and then a bit after them someone watered it and that is ready to reap and we're missing it? Because we're like, oh God, pray for some. Oh God, send the workers. And he's going, if only you knew that you were the worker. If only you knew that you were the laborer. If only you knew that this generation was your responsibility and the fields are ripe in the harvest. And if you would just go out and take it, if only you knew. And it's, it's worrying that we could miss it. Work matters. And Paul mentions, which I repeated when I, pre when I read the passage, I uh, repeated it twice. On purpose, he mentions three ways that they worked. I don't want to break them down quite quickly. They worked, their work was produced by faith, their labor was prompted by love, and their endurance was inspired by hope. The first one is work produced by faith. As I said, faith, or work, sorry, and deeds don't save you, they don't keep you. But a faith without deeds is a dead faith. A faith having faith and doing nothing about it and doing no deeds is pointless. James says it in his book, it, faith without deeds is, is dead. Faith without works is dead. So our faith in God should produce works for God. Our faith in God should produce works for God. And I have to ask myself this question. And I want to ask you and get you to ask yourself it. If your faith isn't producing works, why? If your faith is not producing works, why? Now I'm not going to go out and I'm not going to point fingers and say, see your faith is dead and your faith is dead and your faith is dead. I did that with my fist so you couldn't see a finger pointing at anyone. But I'm not going to point that. But you need to ask yourself this question tonight. If my faith is not producing works, why? And am I happy just to go along? The, am I happy just to go through the motions of church? Am I happy to come and tick boxes of church? Because if, we, if our faith isn't producing works, why? Why? 
John 14, 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. Jonah wrote a, a, a devotion. He does a devotion for um, the 412 page every week. And he did a devotion and talked about this today and talked about the struggle, that we look at this if we can keep our verse up. If you love me, keep my commands. And we focus on the second part of it. We focus on keeping commands. And how many conversations have you had with people in work thinking that, oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't do Christianity. It's all works. It's all rules. It's guidelines. I just couldn't do it. And what do we, we, we take that on board as well. We think it's all about doing stuff. And Jonah said it so well. And he says, if we focus on the first thing, the second part comes naturally. If we focus on loving God, the, the keeping commands comes naturally. But we are focused on the wrong thing. We're focused on keeping commands that we're missing our faith. And I, I wonder, church, if we spent more time focusing on self-leadership, how much more commands would we actually do? I wonder if we focused on, on leading ourselves well. Listen, it's great that the Bible in Ephesians talks about that the church has people appointed to lead and apostles and teachers, and that's so, so important. But listen, if you can't lead yourself well, then this is going to be a struggle. Then there's going to be frustration and tension. And so I think if we focus on self-leadership, if we focus on building our faith, I can guarantee you this, the works will follow. I can guarantee you if you focus on building your relationship with God, the works and the commands will follow. De develop faith and the works will follow. The second one that Paul mentions is labor prompted by love. Labor prompted by love. You see, when we love people, we want the best for people. When we genuinely love people, we want the best for people. But the thing about love, listen, is this. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. And in life, in every area of life, I'm convinced of this, that what you look for, you will find. What you look for, you will find. Let me give you some examples. You can come into a church service and you can look for the negative things in church and you will find the negative things of church. You will come in and you will look at, too warm, um, see, too warm. You'll come in and say, do you know what, we mightn't do the right songs. And then you will look for the songs, that's pick, see, we picked the wrong songs, see, we picked them. Do you know what? Uh, do you know what? See if, see if I go in, he's wearing ripped jeans. I'm telling you. Ah, he's wearing ripped jeans. I'm convinced that what we look for, we will find. Negative and positive. In the house, you can wake up and say, Do you know what? I bet you I go down and he's left the dish and he hasn't even put it in the dishwasher. I can guarantee it. And you'll walk down, you'll see that dish beside the dishwasher nearly in it, and you will just lose the head. And we, we will find what we look for. But that is positive and negative. In the people, in people that we come in contact with, in the people, there's probably people right now as I'm speaking this, that, that are coming to your mind in your workplace, or your university, or your home, people that just, and they, the things that annoy them, or annoy you about them, are coming to the, your mind now, and what happens is the next time you see them, you'll be looking for those things in them, and I can guarantee that you will find them. But it's the same for the opposite, guys. That there is good in people. That if you look for it, you will find it. But it is a choice that we have to make. It is a choice that I have to wrestle with every single day. I have to choose to find the good in people. Because if I can see the good in them, then I can love them. Labor prompted by love. Can I encourage you this week to try and see the good in people? It is your choice and it is my choice whether I see the good in people or not. 
And I know, I understand that some people make it really, really hard for us to find the good in them or to see it. But can I encourage you, it is our choice. It's not my responsibility for whether someone is good or bad, but it's my responsibility for what I see in them. And I love this language I'm reading from the the NIV. And Paul writes that your labor prompted by love. I love that word, prompted. Prompted by love. It's almost like, have you ever went out to a friend's house or a couple's house or someone you sort of know but don't really? And and you've told your spouse or the friend or whoever you're going with something about them but say hey don't bring it up yeah don't bring it up and you're sitting at the dinner table and and they bring it up and you get that prompting that boot in the shins you're like oh and it was a subtle sort of boot in the shin to be like why did you say that we told you not to talk about that and that's what I feel like it is here that's what I, I love this language of that Paul says like our labor should be prompted by love it's almost like a maybe the tonight this here is a, a subtle boot in the shins like, oh, it's a wee bit sore but I know what it means that our labor should be prompted by love, that we work because we love. We have conversations with people because we love. We serve people because we love. We love people because we love them. Our labor should be prompted by love. And these, these subtle reminders that, that the Holy Spirit sometimes gives us is a reminder that the work is not finished yet. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels us. This is almost like a a subtle reminder that, hey, look at what God has done for us. This should be a wee prompt and a reminder to say, come on, he continually loves us so we can continually love out there. He continually lavishes grace and mercy upon us so then we should be able to do it outside. For Christ's love compels us. The third thing that Paul says is endurance inspired by hope. And Paul in this, this hope that Paul talks about is his second coming. He mentions it later on in verse 10. He talks about the coming of Jesus Christ. And so for us and for the church and for the church globally, we know that we have an eternal hope. That one day we will spend eternity with Jesus. We have that eternal hope. But we also don't really know when it's going to happen. We, no one knows when it's going to happen. And so this knowledge of that we have the hope, but not knowing when it's going to be, should inspire us to keep running, to keep going, to not give up on this generation. You see, when you get to the end of a race, if anyone's ever been running a race or you've done a leg of the marathon or you're maybe at the gym doing a workout or you're at a circuits class or something and the instructor says, hey, two more minutes or last, last 30 seconds or last set, you know I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there, so you know what? I'm going to endure. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. Or you know that you're in your last week of work before the Christmas holidays. You know, oh, praise Jesus. Indeed, we're nearly there. I can smell the turkey dinner. And you just keep going. You endure because you know the finish is coming up. So you don't give up. Or that awkward family member comes around and they're, they're saying, do you know what? I've overstayed my welcome. I better go. And you're like... <laughs> You can say that again, any chance of leaving. But you know that they're about to go, so you think, you know what, I can endure to the end. I can endure this. I can endure. And the same with us, we should have endurance that inspired by our hope. Our hope should continue to push us to run faster. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Work produced by faith 
Labor prompted by love and endurance inspired by hope. Faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. If, I, if you take anything from tonight, can I encourage you to remember those words, faith, hope, and love, that your work will be produced by faith, that your labor will be prompted by love, and that your endurance wouldn't be inspired by hope. I'm going to ask us, we're going to, I'm going to st get Nicole to stick some music on. What I want to do is just, when twos or threes, in twos or threes, can you pray for five minutes? Uh, and I want you to specifically pray around this topic of the rape. I want you to pray around this topic, and we're going to pray for a couple of things. I want you to pray for workers for the harvest. Pray for workers. Jesus said it, and so until Jesus comes back, we're going to continually pray for workers Pray that we would get to work, that we would re realize that it is us who are supposed to be the laborers. And can we also pray that we would realize that we, as I said, we are the generation. This is it. God, maybe the generations before prayed that we would have a revelation that is us to do. So can I ask us for five minutes to pray in twos or threes, um, and then I'll come back to the next point. God, your word says that the prayer of a righteous man is both powerful and effective, God. And so, God, we don't pray here tonight in vain. We don't pray just to kill time, God. But, God, we are praying to someone who can do the impossible, God. And so our prayers are not about what we say, but who we say them to. And so we're thankful, God, that when we lift our, when we lift our voices up to you, God, that you bend down to listen to them, God. God, we pray that, that you would give us revelation, God, that we are the workers, God. Even as we, we read that passage to pray for more workers, God, we don't ask that you would just create more workers, but we pray that you would allow people to have a revelation that they are the workers, and by doing so, that you, we actually have more workers. That actually getting more workers is not about just creating more or making more, but it's actually about us realizing our potential and realizing that we are the workers. So God, I pray that tonight, that when we leave this meeting, even right now, God, that the number of workers in this globe will have increased because people in here tonight will have realized that they are the workers, that you have placed them in their workplace for such a time as this. God, we pray that sometimes we want more Christians in our school. We want more Christians in our class, more Christians in our office. We want more Christians, God. But God, I pray that tonight there will be a revelation that we are the influence in there, God, that we are workers in this heart, this, this field that is ripe so that we can reap the harvest. So I pray that we would start to reap the harvest, God. We thank you for those who have went before and have planted and, and sowed and watered time and time again. They have continually watered, hoping that there would be a harvest. And God, we're thankful that now that we get to reap that, God. So I pray, stir us up to have an encounter with you that would leave us with responsibility. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, the second thing that, that we read, the second instruction is replicate. Replicate is a verb and it means to make an exact copy of or reproduce. And in verse 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and a deep conviction. Paul reminds the Thessalonians of this, 
that the gospel, the message came to them, not just in words, but with power. Power of the Holy Spirit, deep conviction. Many of you, if I asked you right now, what date you got saved, you would be able to answer. Does anyone know the exact date they got saved? I'm not going to ask you, but who knows? People know. I, I think I was eight. That's a rough guess. Some of you might know who was preaching the message that night if you were in church or what they were saying. Some of you, ladies, might remember what you were wearing. I don't even remember the rough year, but some of us can remember so much details about that. But I wonder if any of us truly remember what was really said. I've heard several stories about people who, who got saved and the, they have no idea what was said. In fact, they're convinced that what was said was not what was actually God was speaking to them because it wasn't words that saved them, but it was power. For me, it wasn't words that saved me, but it was power through the Holy Spirit. So I asked myself this question. If it was power that saved me, then I'd, why do I think that it's words that will save other people? If power saved me, then why do I think that it's my conversations and my words that are going to save other people? Why? It is the challenge that we all do. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 5, hopefully it'll come up on the screen. Paul writes, And so it is with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Listen to this. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that, do you remember we spoke on Sunday about the so that? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, if it was words that saved you, then it must be words that will keep you. However, many of us in here are saved because of power. So if it was power that saved you, then power will keep you. And Paul says that his message came to the Corinthian church by a demonstration of his power so that our faith doesn't rest on people, but on power. I'm glad that I have no idea who was preaching or what the message was I heard when I got saved. I, Listen, I'm so glad that some of you can remember that moment because it is crucial that you hold on to where you came from. But I am glad because my, my faith does not rest on people, but it rests on his power. And his power will never change. He is the same. And so I can rest assured on that. And Paul says, he commends them. He commends them because he's saying, the word came to you, not just with words, but in power. And so it must leave that way. We need to replicate this. We need to replicate. And this is what Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. But for us here in Dundaldalem, for me in my everyday living, or you in your everyday living, or you in your workplace, what are we producing? And so Paul says this, the gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also in power. And we've just mentioned that the gospel came to you, not with words, but with power. And as I was preparing this, God asked me this question and it floored me. If it comes to you in power, David, what way is it leaving you? If it comes to you in power, what way is it leaving you? And this is where we'll come across to here. So this kettle is going, I've used this analogy before, um, but this is going to be a different way. 
this kettle and the water in it, this is going to represent, for the, this analogy, this is going to represent the message of power. This, is, this kettle is going to represent the gospel message of power that saved me and that saved you. And these two vessels here, they're going to represent our lives. And in this bag, I have some coffee. And I'm only going to put some coffee in one of them. Bear with me a couple of seconds. And so this coffee is going to represent our, our view or our sometimes distorted representation of the gospel. And so it's going to go in this one. And so what happens is, sometimes this can be me. When I understand the gospel, I don't fully grasp it at times. And sometimes what I try to do is I try to take this message of God and I try to interpret it in my own way. I try to interpret it in, do you know what? I could say that. I could, I could say to people, I could just, you know, say nice things. I could make nice stories, nice analogies, and I could say the right things. And do you know what? People might come to church. People might even get saved. And so what we do is we start to take the Word of God, and it, as it goes through our minds and as it goes through what we think, what happens is it comes out the other way, and it doesn't come out the way it came in. It went through pure it went through in, in power. But when I start interpreting what I think the message of the gospel is, and I, I start to use words and analogies and stories and weird illustrations like this, what, is, what happens is that it, it comes out a different way of the way it came in. And so what, what I'm saying is, if we were just to replicate it, if we were to take the gospel which came to us in power and replicate it in power, without it doing anything in our lives, without it trying, us trying to distort it, then it would come out the same way it went in. It would come out the same way it went in. And I am challenged by this because what from here at pouring in to here, what do I think I can add value to the gospel in? The gospel changes lives as it is. I don't need to change it. I don't need to try and say it a different way. The gospel changes lives. And so church, can I challenge us that when we go in, what we need to do is we need to start to replicate the way it came into our lives. It came in through power. It was a demonstration of power. It was a conviction of the Holy Spirit that led you to make a decision to follow Jesus. It was you sitting in this church or another church or your own bedroom or out in the street or wherever and you had a conviction and an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed your life. It was a conviction with the Holy Spirit where you thought, what is going on here? And it was that that changed your life. And so what we need to do is we need to start to carry that conviction of the Holy Spirit and that power into our everyday lives. We need to be listening to what's the Holy Spirit saying to me? What's the Holy Spirit asking me to do? Is he asking me to go to pray for someone that they might get healed? Jesus, that's a bit ridiculous. But it's that power that we will see lives changed. It's that power that came in and changed your life that we need to also replicate to change other people's lives. If it came to us in power, it needs to leave us in power. And so, as I come to a close here, I want to ask you, what, on your, what is God asking you to do? That might mean that you're not reliant on yourself, but you're reliant on his power. What is God asking you to do that is not reliant on you, 
but is reliant on his power. Do you know what we, I love hearing stories of? People praying for people in the streets. People praying for people in the workplace. I love hearing that stuff. And unfortunately, I don't really hear it that much. My, myself included. I went in and asked Pip could I pray for him once and he told me to go. <laughs> but we don't hear those things enough. But yet we want to see the gospel change lives. But we're trying to do it through our words, including me. Whereas how much more would we see the gospel change lives if we started to replicate his power that came and encountered us in his power and we just left it the same way. Do you know what we're going to pour? We're going to pray for power over people. We're going to pray for people. We're going to give words of encouragement. We're going to prophesy. We're going to see miracles happen. Come on, let's see that. How much more would we see the impact that we would make? And so I wonder, are we, as I come to close here, are we getting this all wrong in terms of our responsibility for this generation? Are we getting it wrong in this harvest because we have just missed it? We think it's about how we say things and how we do things rather than, you know, the Holy Spirit's power could just come and do this. And if we started, if it came in in power and it left us in power, what could happen? What could happen? And the last, as we come to a close here, I just want to ask you, in the same twos or threes, can you pray again? For again, five minutes, then I'm going to pray, and then that is us done. But pray that we wouldn't disrupt this, that we wouldn't cause this disruption in our, the disruption that the Holy Spirit might be tr trying to do through us, that we wouldn't try and clog it up, that we wouldn't try and disrupt it, that if God comes to us in power, then we would just say, okay, I'm just going to be a vessel for you, and it's just going to come out in power. And that we would start to have boldness and courage, church, to pray for some people, to encourage some people, to let the Spirit's power work through our lives and pray that we would carry this message of power. It came to us, a demonstration of the power of God, and that we would see it leave us and a demonstration of power and that we would reap the harvest. We're going to pray for about five minutes again, and then I'm going to pray and close. God, we pray for an increase in your power in our own lives tonight, God. God, we thank you that you want to speak through us and that you still use us, God, that that's the way that you make your appeal to these, this generation is through our lives, God, and we're thankful that we get to be part of it, God. So God, we're sorry for the times that we, we don't trust you, that we say we trust you, we say we have faith in you, God, but when it comes to you asking us to do some stuff, even simple things, God, that we don't trust you because we don't actually go ahead and do it because we think you'll not pull through. But God, we're thankful when we look back in, in situations that we had no control over. You never, you never failed us then, God. So in these situations, God, you're asking us to do small things. I pray that we'll, we will take a step of faith and trust you, God, and allow you to to use our lives to demonstrate your power through us, God. Not through our words, God. Not through our wisdom, God. Because there is no wisdom in us other than what you've given us, God. But we pray, would, you, would we just be vessels that you just pour your power in one way and it just comes out the other way, God. Just replicating and imitating your power and your love in, this, in our lives, God. And God, we just pray sometimes that, that we see several occasions, God, even in your word of people seeing the power of God, but what they had to do was make the first move, taking a step out of trust you. And God, I pray for this week we would hear incredible stories of ordinary people just taking steps out, that they were, they were scared that, that you wouldn't pull through, but they took the first step and you honored that and you blessed that and you moved in incredible ways. And it would be amazing, God, if we could come back next week and hear stories of how people have demonstrated your power. 
in everyday situations because they trusted you, they stepped out, they didn't try and distort it, they didn't try and tweak it or change it. We're thankful the gospel is still changing lives. It is still changing people's lives. It's still building your church, God. And we don't need to add or take anything away from it, God. We just pray that you would use us um, to demonstrate your power. God, as we go and, and spend some time and have some coffee, God, I pray we would be encouraged by one another, challenged, but have fellowship and there would just be joy in this place. God, we thank, thank you that we get to have joy and that you didn't call us to live boring lives, but to have fun. So God, I pray that as we come together, we'll, you'll still be in the midst of our conversations. In Jesus' name.